Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la serie. Welcome to the Peruvian Waltz Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo. No Brian Birdie today, but I am joined forever and always by Christopher Viscardo over there in Utah. Christopher, how are you doing? This is starting to become a thing, you know. It's just the two of us, yeah. you know, just sitting down, talking a little soccer. You know, it's 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 good. It's also it's also good to hear from from our other panelists, and we want to let them know that we do miss him very much, and uh, we hope that they can join us next week. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, obviously, it's been an eventful week in Peru, so let's get right to it. When is it ever not an eventful? I know, week? right? And that is no different this week. We'll start with the Peru squad, Christopher, because that's probably the more topical news, at least outside of another topic we will touch on later. Boy, will we ever touch on it. Uh, but for now, the Peru squad, 24 players were announced by Ricardo Gareca on Friday. Um, the real surprise names that are on that list are Christian Benevente and Jordi Reina back in the squad in Reina's case, for the first time in a year. In Benavente's case, the first time since March when he had that pre-World Cup tryout, as it were. Um, the overall changes to the squad, uh, Marcos Lopez, Ray Sandoval, Sergio Peña, Wilder Cartagena were all taken out. They were replaced by Benavente, Reina, uh, Andy Polo is back, as is Paolo Hurtado, who is in terrific form recently with Konya Sport in Turkey. So Christopher, what was your general reaction to the squad maybe before we go more in depth on it? If anything, we need to be glad that the squad as a whole is growing a little bit and that we have uh, more options. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we always go back to, you know, 2014 when Gareca first started. Uh, we were, for example... Uh, tied to Zambrano, right? And I think that there was many of us that hated Zambrano, that were tired of his childish manners, per se. But then we always said, well, we have no other options because Zambrano is the best we've got. And now we're starting to see, you know, we had, we had 22, 23 last, last month, and now we have been able to replace all those names. And, you know, and I, I, my first reaction is almost like, yeah, these guys you know, that he has replaced um, other players with, they're just as good, you know? When the, so meaning that the, the, the overall quality of, of players that can be called to the national team is growing, uh, and that's a good sign. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, the, also the, the amount of players that are coming from abroad. Um, it's also a good sign. Our 2016 Copa America squad, squad was, for example, mostly... Uh, a local squad mm -hmm. uh, of the Descentralizado. And in this case, we're, we're starting to export players and in one particular case, even export a, uh, a manager to Bolivia. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> our pride and joy right there, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. But anyway, that, that's my first reaction. But now talking, talking soccer-wise, yeah, I think that everybody knew that Benavente was going to come back. If anything, I guess we can be a little surprised that Jordi Reina has come back. This is something that we discussed last week. And to to me, honestly, there is no there is no reason why not uh, to give him a chance, to give him a try, and to, to try him in that position. Uh, as I think he still has the age uh, in which he can be useful to the national team. Uh, and I don't know if he's also the, the, the permanent solution to the Paulo Guerrero problem, but it's a step in the right direction. It is. And obviously, as long as he is out, the options to replace him will still be there. Um, so really, anybody has an opportunity. Even Irvin Avila, for example, somebody who's around the same age as Ruiz, I believe, born in the same year. So as long as he keeps playing with Monarcas, maybe he gets a chance. Uh, the same thing goes with every other Peruvian striker, really. Although there is a dearth of options right now in the domestic league, uh, a topic we have touched on several times. Um, Christopher, more general look again, because we've talked about this, I think, for the past 
I feel like basically since the World Cup ended and certainly a lot last month when the friendlies against Germany and Holland happened, the topic of experimentation with the squad, with the tactics, with the lineup, whatever you want to call it, it's probably going to be a real divisive issue among Peruvian fans because I think some would like to see more players tested, others just simply want to see the players that are in the squad regularly, but maybe don't necessarily start all the time, get those minutes that are required. Where do you stand on the whole experimentation of the squad? Do you think Gareca should be chopping and changing it more at this point? Or do you think that clearly the plan that he's using now, which is to basically keep the same core together, but maybe change around five or six different players? At this point in the year, do you think that's also the way to go, or do you think he should be making more changes to it? No, no, I, I think I think it's fine, especially because you do need to strike a little bit of a balance, right? Uh, of course, he, he has a contract for the next four years, and he has been very, very popular. Unfortunately, we usually have short memories, right? And if Peru starts doing terribly, all of a sudden people start talking and then you're just you're just feeding wood to to the press to run yeah. wild and make fire with, right? Yeah. So yeah. as such, even though we lost to Germany and the Netherlands, which are teams that are way, way, way beyond our level, even though we lost to them, at the end of the day, we said, you know, they're big teams, we played well, we saw new people, right? So there was some value to some some experience gain from losing a game. Um, when it comes to Chile, there's going to be a lot more passions coming coming uh, through from right. the fans. There's going to be a lot more emotions. Uh, so therefore, then again, he needs to be careful in that. Of course, we want the national team to show its best face, but at the same time, we want to use the opportunity. To, to try and rotate some players through. Like I said, I trust in these players. I trust that any of these players will do fine. None of them are like, oh my goodness, why is this guy here? He sucks. You know, I think all the players that, that he has called up are decent players, are players that have shown themselves to be reliable in the past. So in reality, we're not talking about trying out new players so much we're talking about trying out maybe new strategies and different combinations that we haven't done before um, which is really not that risky uh, i think that it's pretty much a fact that if you get called up by gareca he's going to use you in the game uh you know we were saying well maybe calcaterra won't even have minutes and then he had some minutes and he's shown that time and time again you know beto da Sil silva in march well, you know, he's just a young guy. He's going to see how he does in training. Well, he gave him some minutes also. So I think that everybody that has been called up, with, probably with the exception of, of the goalies, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, will have some minutes. And that's good. That's good. Um, as long as he can keep that balance, then I think he has plenty of leeway uh, with uh, when it comes to trying out different people and different combinations on the pitch. Uh, and as such... I think that that's the, the level of change that I'm comfortable with. And I think it's the reasonable level. I think anybody would say that that is reasonable. This is no, this is no Osorio here, right? We're, we're not dealing with an Osorio situation where we're getting a, like a different starting eleven every time. And some of these players are known and we have no idea who they are and we, they never play together. So, so yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty comfortable with, with things the way they are. Yeah, me as well. And I think this whole issue, I think people underestimate just how strong the camaraderie is with that squad, especially when you have an international team, uh, or sorry, national team uh, playing international football, where you have such little time together. Having that base and that chemistry intact is so crucial, right? And if you are doing, let's say, a Juan Carlos Osorio and you are constantly chopping and changing your squad and you are naming 10 or 11 different players um, to every roster and you're changing half of your 11, that is not the way to go because then players get confused. They, they don't know what simple movements to make, right? I mean, it, it's very little details, but they're so important, right? I mean... The sport in its essence is a simple game, but it's also a very complicated and intricate game, right? 
So I think what Gadeka is doing, maybe making four or five changes here or there to the roster, but basically keeping the same 11 together, I think that's the way to go. Maybe you make one or two changes to the 11, which I think he has done. Um, and I think the fact that we've still seen some players who got first call-ups in September, mainly, mainly the Cristal uh, players, I think that also shows that Gadeka not only has confidence in them, he will probably give them more of a run in the team in October and maybe even November if they continue to impress in training and in the subsequent games. Um, on that subject, because I do want to talk about this, Christopher, in terms of like individual players and whatnot, um, you know, it, we'll obviously preview the friendlies next week as they draw closer, but for now, um, what do you think the squad, this squad particularly, indicates when it comes to what Gareca wants to do tactically and with his team selection? <laughs> Trying to read uh, Gareca's mind, I think, is impossible. I think that, uh, I think the most obvious thing, right, is obviously the issue that we have up front. Um, I think in the back, we have a lot of good players. We have a lot of good defenders. Our first five players, including our goalie, I, I think are pretty much set. I think when it comes to defense, it is a question of uh, creating better partnerships and allowing the new center backs to get to know each other and to get to uh, interact so that they can coordinate better. Um, considering that Ramos and Rodriguez are no longer going to be our, our go-to guys, right? We, we, have, we have added different names to the mix, uh, a lot of promising players, and I don't think that we have a definitive, you know, these are our two guys, you know, these are, these are the, the two names that we go to. I think we're trying different combinations there, but to me, I would be almost, I would be comfortable with any of the different combinations. All I, all I would make sure that happens is that whoever they are, they start getting used to each other. Um, now, the biggest question is in, uh, in offense when it comes to attacking. Uh, I think the, the obvious thing, like we have said it time and time again, is how, how we're going to uh, restructure it to account for the fact that we no longer have Paulo Guerrero. Do we want to have one man on top? Do we want to have two? Do we want to have a system with one that's being supported by someone that's just slightly behind them, like a nine and a 10 relationship uh, with a very loose 10. Um, I, I think that's where the biggest questions are. And obviously, I, like I said, I can't read Gareca's mind, but to me, that's kind of the direction that uh, I would take things. I don't know if you see any other connections maybe that are, that are missing uh, that you would like to emphasize. Well, just to follow up on what you mentioned about the 9 and the 10, I mentioned last week that I wanted to see Benavente and Ruidia start together. But what Gareca said in his press conference really intrigued me, and I think it intrigued a lot of people as well. When he was asked about Benavente and what role he could play potentially, he mentioned that, which is true, Benavente has played more on the left wing with Charleroi over the last three or four games and has actually done really well there. He scored, I think three goals he has an assist in there in his last seven games and i think most of those have come from him playing on the left wing um but it's it, it's not the typical left wing position that you would maybe associate with like say an edison flores for example he's more of like a christian cueva type where he'll maybe start on the, on the left but he'll cut inside very often right. and dictate the game in the center um, actually he created a lot of chances doing that over the weekend, which I mentioned in my roundup. So if you want to see that more in depth and maybe what his role sort of looks like, check it out on the website. Um, but that to me is kind of the wild card in all this because clearly Gareca sees Benavente being more of a left-sided player, but with maybe more creative freedom. So I wonder, I mean, among the questions I have are what happens to Flores, um, especially because he's actually been playing a little more midfield as like a number eight type with Monarcas recently. Um, and then what happens with like, say, Rai Sandoval, what happens with, with the other wingers that are in the player pool? Um, I would personally love to see 
assuming that he does play on the left. Benevente on that side. Have Carrillo, Hurtado, whoever you want on, on the right. I'm sure he's going to sit with Carrillo as long as he's still in form and not, let's say, quote-unquote, dipped to the level of the Saudi league. Um, have Cueva central and then have Ruidias up front because that would be one of the most dynamic, exciting, and I think dangerous attacks Peru could really have. Just think of the technique, the the vision between Benavente and, and Cueva because both of those players, I think, could offer you so much improvisation. It would be almost impossible to predict how to shut down that Peru attack, right? Whereas with, with Paolo... And even without Paolo as well, it became a little bit predictable on how to shut down Peru's attack, um, which I think France did very well at the World Cup. I think Australia did a decent job of it at the World Cup as well, even though Peru scored twice. So that to me is really what I look at in terms of the other sort of questionable gray areas with this team is what happens to Benevente. Because if he plays on that left and he's given that creative freedom, I think that unlocks a whole other dimension to that attack. I don't know what you think. No, yeah, I, I think that I, I would agree. That's that's quite an interesting perspective. I think it would balance things out. Hopefully, I mean, that would be quite interesting because I think we know what Hurtado uh, and Carrillo can offer on the right side, especially, right? I, I think that if anything, I want to say um that that's probably a more dominant side obviously uh when it comes to the national team just because Carrillo has been in a great great level uh and the you know we we also have Advincula that kind of takes right. care of that side also I mean so we 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 are right side heavy we have a lot of players and so therefore especially with Trauco's kind of bump in the road slowing down a bit not being in tip-top uh, shape has weakened that side of the field in general. Uh, so therefore, I can see what Gareca could could be thinking by trying Benavente there. Uh, I think that we need to be careful in that the biggest complaint with Benavente is that we keep trying him as if he was a pawn that we can spare, we can put it, you know, let's put him here, let's put him here, yeah. let's put him yeah. there. Yeah. And people yeah. have complained. It's like, well, the reason why Benavente cannot find himself uh, a place in the squad is because he keep, keeps getting moved around. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so Gareca needs to be careful to try to avoid those things. I would hope that he would now come out and say something along the lines of like, yes, you know, obviously Benavente has shown himself to be good on the left side, and that's going to be his permanent position. That's what we're going to expect of him. Because if not, the player doesn't know what what is expected of them either. And that is why there's so much fluctuation with him going being in the squad or not being in the squad, in the squad or not in the squad. Um, so so yeah, I think uh, that's something that we will have to keep an eye, eyes our eyes open for, and also. Uh, hopefully he gets more minutes too, right? I think that that was also a complaint that we had in March that Benavente was a sub, and but the the situation was different, of course. I mean, we were preparing for a World Cup, so we were giving him some time and trying him out. But now that we're trying to find a, uh, a new balance, um, then hopefully we'll see Benavente playing a, a full ninety minutes. Absolutely. And I think it's also a good thing that Gadeka did identify right away kind of what his thinking was in terms of where Benavente could play because that is a fantastic point. He hasn't really had a settled role. I think the, the last time he really had that established position was maybe at the end of 2016, uh, say in that Ecuador game, the the Argentina qualifier at home. He was playing, I think, on the right wing with Cueva Central, Paolo up front, but he kind of had the freedom to cut inside as well. So maybe he sees him more, because I believe he is uh, right-footed, his more dominant foot is his right foot. Maybe he sees him kind of like as like the reverse Aryan Robin where he can cut inside and maybe have shots, but instead of maybe having shots he'll create chances for Rui Diaz. And I think that's crucial because if you can build the system around Rui Diaz and the fact that you give him any sort of low cross or through ball into the box and he has even like a half inch of space off a defender, he'll finish the chance. And I, I mean, 
I will defend the Roy DS experiment mm. till the day I die, or at least till the day he <laughs> retires. Um, because I, look, he's the best pure finisher Peru has, right? And if you don't have Paolo because he's suspended for the time being, try him out, change the system. And then once Paolo comes back, then you got two different ways of playing, right? And then you can come at opposition a lot differently, right? Depending on how they'll line up or how you think they might deploy themselves. So it is a good point to make. We got a number of questions actually. Okay. So let's try to get into some of those. Uh, the first one's actually in the chat and uh, Ricardo Ore asking, there are, a few there are a few young strikers that are playing abroad. Which of them do you believe has the best chance in making a leap into the bigger European leagues and maybe crack a starting 11? The thing is, really outside of Beto da Silva, I mean, Ivan Bulos was contracted in Portugal. He no longer is. There aren't really that many young strikers abroad who are really kind of even on the radar right now. Um, not even so. domestically. Like, this is this is almost weird. We've got a, a plethora of, of wingers, number 10s, deep-lying midfielders. Um, I mean, just look at Aquino and Yotun and Tapia, Peña, I mean, Cartagena, it, it, it's loaded, right? And then you got Pretel, with, who's on loan at San Martin from Cristal. I mean, you've got so many different options. I've had Oconcha coming through. It, it, it's, it's incredible, right? And then, of course, the center back options, but no real strikers. So I can't really answer that question. Um, in terms of maybe in the league, it all depends who gets playing time, right? Because Sporting Cristal have a lot of promising young strikers, mm -hmm. but Jekyll and Olivares being the two main ones. But Obviously, with Herrera breaking records, they're not going to get into the team anytime soon. Uh, so maybe hope they have a strong Sudamericano, assuming Peru is there. Again, we'll get into it later on. Okay. Um, but otherwise, th there really aren't any, any options uh, at the moment. Um, speaking of strikers, though, um, question from Kevin Montalvan at K Montalvan 7. With Guerrero and El Mudo out and Farfan likely injured, uh, who do you see as captain during these matches? I'll throw out one suggestion for you, Christopher, because I think he was a captain previously, but Christian Ramos, if he starts, I don't know what you think. Yes, yes. I, I think that, I think for Gareca is a little bit of an age and experience component. I was very, very, very surprised to see Farfan step into that role. I don't know if they gave it to him symbolically because they were in Germany and whatever not, because that is something that he has stated multiple times in the past that he, he did not want to do. He did not want to have that responsibility, uh, which is fine. You know, we respect his decision, but but uh, if he's not going to be there and if Paulo's not going to be there, if Mula's not going to be there, then seniority would state that it's either Advincula or Ramos. Uh, Advincula or Ramos would be my two two contenders in that order too. Uh, Ramos section, no, in the opposite order. Ramos first, and then Advincula, uh, depending which one of the two uh, is going to be playing. Other than that, after them, if you really want to go that far, you know, have your air and a spare, then uh, then maybe Galesi. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, that's kind of my top three. Yeah, I think that those are really the only options you have. But Farfan is actually supposed to be fit for the game, so maybe he gets it again, potentially. Uh, especially because is he is confirmed because up to up until um, this morning, up until noon today, I was hearing conflicting reports. Yeah, I mean, based on what his club was saying, it looks like he'll at least join the team, uh, whether okay. or not he starts. We shall see. Uh, but considering he is, he has a tendency to score against Chile, um, which is fantastic <laughs> for us, let's be honest. Maybe he gets the captaincy, right, for that game at least. Uh, but right. I think he scored in his like, last three or four appearances against Chile. It's incredible to me. But anyways, I digress. Speaking of Chile, actually, because we got a question from uh, Robbie C at BNCEO, and he asked us, will the match versus Chile be pretty chill or is it always contentious? Robbie, my friend, it's it's oh, always man. contentious. No matter what the competition, whether it's a friendly or not, Peru and Chile, the Clásico del Pacífico, it's always heated, my friend. Anyways, we'll move on now to the U.S. game because uh, he asked us about the U.S. game. Against them, do you see Peru avoiding the midfield and going for more width? I see the latter because Peru tends to kind of stretch the field and tend to distribute out wide. What do you think, Christopher? 
Yeah, I think I would agree. I think mm, I can't think of out of the top of my head who the United States have in the middle. I don't know. Well, I think that the United States is going through a lot of changes themselves right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be trying new stuff also. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised to see something that we haven't seen before, uh, just because both teams are going to be constantly moving and trying trying new things and uh, forming new connections. But uh, I think that the proven style of player would, would dictate that we're probably going to try it to expand ourselves a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so maybe I lean towards that. Yeah, and I do know that the American fullbacks at the moment, even DeAndre Edlund, who's obviously in the Premier League playing for Newcastle, um, there are going to be spaces to exploit there. So that's one reason why they might go out wide. Um, the U.S. with Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, all these up-and-coming young players, Christian Pulisic will probably cut inside and try to influence the game there. I imagine Gadeca tries to look at exploiting the wings because uh, Brazil did this against the U.S. and had a field day. So maybe he'll look at film from that game and think, all right, we can find a way in through here. Um, Robbie actually asked us a couple other questions as well. Uh, he asked us, do we see Christian Benevente starting any of the matches? I possibly see him starting the U.S. game. Uh, Christopher, do you have a different opinion? Yeah, no, I would agree. I I most certainly want to see him start one of the games. Like I said, I want to see him start, play 90 minutes. But of course, because we have to be so careful with Chile and it's we know that it's no friendly and all of that, mm-hmm. that he then Gareca might go with something a little bit more, of a, more of a safer bet. Um, and as such, we could see Benavente coming coming in at the end of the game, kind of like he did with uh, with Iceland, um, and kind of uh, maybe switching things around if we if we need to, right? And we see, find ourselves in that situation. Um, but but yeah, no, I, w- I would agree. Yeah, I think the U.S. game is the one that he'll probably try a few more things in, as opposed to the Chile game. Well, probably you can probably expect to see a very uh, quote-unquote regular team and style in that match against Chile. Um, moving on to individual players that Robbie asked us about. Um, what does Alexander Cayens have to do to earn a call-up? Um, maybe change positions because mm-hmm. the, the amount of options Peru has at centre-back is frankly insane when you think about even a couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you obviously have Santa Maria, Ramos, Abraham. Araujo as the four main kind of candidates to start there, but Santa Maria as the left side of center back and one of Araujo or, or Ramos as the right side of center back. That's the option. And to have a player like Abraham, who's been so good at Belis and, and has really dominated there. He actually had English and Spanish clubs watching him yesterday night right. in the Belis game and actually did very well. So he could possibly be on his way to Europe soon. What a rise he's had. Um, but I I think that that's really Kayan's major downfall is that there are so many good options. Um, he probably got a little bit of a boost from the Jean-Pierre Reiner situation. He basically wanted Gareca to assure him of a starting spot. Gareca said, rightfully so, I don't assure a starting spot to anybody. Um, so maybe that's a a, a potential door opening for Kayan's in the future, but as long as he keeps playing well, and maybe if there's an injury, to a center back, then maybe he gets an opportunity. Um, We'll wrap it up with a question about Claudio Pizarro, who I believe actually turned 40. So Robbie asked us, will Claudio Pizarro get a testimonial match for Peru or is it over for him? Christopher, I'll throw this over to you. Oh no, I think it would be beneficial for us to have a commemorative match just so that we can get some closure on the whole situation, maybe. Uh, the hope is that he will actually finally retire this season. Right? <laughs> Hopefully. And something makes me think that he said, oh, I didn't make it to the World Cup. Oh, let's see if I can make it to the next Copa America. It's like, Claudio, just stop trying so hard, buddy. Like, you know, let's let's sit down at the table. Let's negotiate. Let's Let's give you a good farewell. You were good to us. I was going to joke around, uh, joke about, a second, a second ago, I joked about how uh, how it seems like nature, or God, or whatever you want to call it, uh, is playing a trick on us by making the striker a recessive gene within the Peruvian population. It skips a generation, <laughs> right? So then, you, like, 
in the early 2000s, you had Pizarro, and you have Farfan, and you have Paolo, and you have a, a nice crop, right, of, of strikers, and then everything else behind them is mediocre at best. Yeah. And now we seem to have a really good team, and all of a sudden we can't find a striker. Uh, so, so anyways, we, we have to give them credit. Um, I We have to give him credit, but at the same time, he is not a victim here. He is not a victim. Hmm. Uh, he had a history of, uh, unfortunately, not being as disciplined as possible because he was such a superstar in Germany, right? So, so in the end, if those, you know, first of all, let's negotiate with him. You know, let's talk it out. You know, the OBL should talk to him and see if we can set up a match. Yeah, you know, but if if things don't work out, then it's like, well, well, thank you very much for your services. Um, you know, you'll get a discount next time or whatever. But that, that's about it. Um, uh, that's kind of what I would. That's what I. That's what I would like to see in an ideal world. Yeah, I can see him getting like a token call up. He gets thrown on for 15 minutes at the end, or maybe he does like what Wesley Schneider does. He starts the game, but then gets taken off to a thunderous ovation or whatever yeah. sort of reaction he gets from Peruvian fans. I'm sure there'd be mixed reactions because Peruvians are crazy. Um, yep. So that's probably the situation I would see happening. So let's move on, Christopher, from that little appetizer to the main course, at least for you. La Ley de Fortalecimiento. This is probably the topic du jour in Peru right now. Um, and for those who maybe don't know what's been going on with this or, or even what the ley is, it's essentially a law recognizing uh, the FPF's autonomy. Um, but there's a small footnote in the law, which is at the center of this controversy and whether or not it will be repealed. So Christopher, before we get into our mm -hmm. thoughts on the matter, maybe you could explain this a little bit further and basically what the controversy is. Okay. At okay. Right. So don't, don't want to make things too lengthy, but we, we got to start, first of all, in the nineties, Peru was in a dictatorship. Uh, things were crap. In, in all aspects of Peruvian life, the economy, sports, uh, you know, politically, social, you know, social and everything, right? So in the early 2000s, we started this return to democracy and, and restructuring everything, kind of trying to put the, the puzzle back together. There's a law that's passed which regulates the Peruvian uh, federations, sports federations in general. Uh, now, that law passed in 2004. And by 2017, Congress feels like it's inadequate. Uh, it's not quite having the effect that they were hoping that it would have. So therefore, they start looking into replacing that law with, with something new. Now, the, the issue is that all the other sports federations, all the other sports organizations in Peru, because we are a developing country, do not receive enough private funding to run themselves. Right. So like 90, 90 percent of it, with probably the exception of, of soccer and volleyball, uh, depend on the government for most of their funding. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're a, if you're a Taekwondo, you know, or or I don't know, a, a weightlifter or a runner uh, and you need to get to the Olympics, the, the Peruvian government is going to is going to pay the bill. Uh, and as such, the Peruvian government says, if you take our money, you follow our rules, right? And we want to make sure that, you know, there is places where athletes can train in every region of the country, that women are given an opportunity, the people that have, uh, that would qualify, for example, for the Paralympic Games have a chance, you know, this whole idea of equality, you know, give everybody a chance. Uh, if you want to be an official federation of Peru, then there, you have to be equally represented with men, women. You have to have a voice in in the rural areas as well as you know the Lima, and so forth and so forth. And unfortunately, the Peruvian Football Federation gets roped as as part of this group, right? Because obviously they represent Peru in a specific sport. So why would they be exempt from the law? The, the, the difference is that the Peruvian Football Federation has huge, huge partnerships with companies in Peru, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to name the brands, but 
there's tons of brands that mm -hmm. that give a lot of money to not only the national team but for youth training on top of that fifa also gives you know the federation a percentage of the what it makes during its international competitions and so forth so therefore um the the peruvian fa comes in and says well everybody else takes your money we don't take your money so therefore we don't need to follow your rules and in fact fifa makes it clear right in in their laws that federations uh the soccer federations are independent mm -hmm. they're not you know they should not be intertampered with or interfered by anyone else it says rule 19 i'm reading right right from the from the fifa rules right here each member association shall manage its affairs independently and without undue influence from third parties so this means that not only the government but any kind of uh business or or even like if the clubs try to do a coup i mean if those would be third parties that would be influencing the peruvian fa so as such fifa really frowns upon that right uh there's been many specifically with politics many instances in which countries have taken control of the soccer federations and and ran wild with it if you don't believe me 1936 olympics when germany you know germany was nazi germany yep. or the 1938 world cup when italy was fascist italy yep. uh i mean there's many more examples that we can go through and so that's why fifa is so picky about it so therefore this law that's supposed to regulate football federations in Peru has not even passed out of committee in Congress. And FIFA shows up at the Congress's door and says, wait, wait, you're, you're going to be tampering with our federation. We don't want you to do that. So, so we don't, and at the same time, we don't want to impose sanctions upon Peru. We don't want to end up having to, uh, having to, well, Suspend. suspend having to suspend uh peru from the world cup and all of that right so therefore they negotiate and they come up with this law the fortalecimiento the strengthening of the peruvian federation right and like you you very you said very well peter uh it has a, a one use law that's attached at the very end of it right that says the federation will decide the who is who makes the decisions uh who's part of their committee independently right and it will include um the clubs the professional clubs the amateur clubs the referees the managers the players so it will be a plethora of of people that will that will get to make the decisions uh in the federation basically anyone that is not the government yeah. <laughs> anyone yeah. that's not the government you know anyone that's involved in the game including even like you know like beach soccer gets a say yeah. in yeah. this in in how the federation is run which this creates a very unique law for the federation because all the other federations of course are part of this this wider law right now they they reach this compromise uh, the the special law makes its way through congress okay now the special soccer law has made its way to congress as of a few months ago okay but the general law right has not made its way to through congress at all okay so now we get we 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 fast forward past the world cup now we, we come to the issue at hand right now and it is that there is a section of there's of uh, the members of Congress that says that this is unfair. Why? Because basically FIFA is dictating upon Congress what they should do. And that is violating the autonomy of Peru as a country. And not only <laughs> that, but let's remember that FIFA doesn't have a great reputation to begin with, right? FIFA gate, you know, Justin Blatter, you know, there is reasons to be suspicious about this. So therefore, they want to repeal this law, and their argument is saying we can repeal this just fine. And in fact, if you still want, you know, uh, Peruvian soccer to the Peruvian soccer federation to include the saying of all those people that you mentioned before, why don't you do that internally? We're not going to stop you, and, and that is a possible solution. So he, he, I'm trying to debate maybe the the side of the argument that we have heard less from, in that if 
the, the reason why FIFA is saying do not repeal this law is because it will, to them, in their eyes, make the federation run in a way that they're not happy uh, having it run, in an archaic way. They want the federation to be run in a new way. So therefore, Congress passed that law to have the federation run in this new way. But in reality, uh, they could have those changes that they want, okay, happen um, without Congress tampering things at all, right? I mean, they, the Federation could make these changes internally. It would not need Congress to make these changes, right? But now, because they had reached an agreement and now Congress is trying to back out of this agreement, now they're saying, okay, now we're going to penalize you. Now we're going to suspend you. Now you're going to receive sanctions, right? So once again, Peru sees itself uh, forced to abide by the will of FIFA and of the Federation, right? And so the, I think that both, both arguments uh, have some validity. I think at the same time, we're making a storm right out of out of something so simple in the end of the day you know the federation is an autonomous organization and it has the right to make its own laws right and as such even if we repeal this law we should be fine but obviously fifa is trying to show uh, the peruvian congress that they have more power right and that their will is going to get imposed upon them uh and and that's the, the situation that we find ourselves in. In so far, honestly, that the, the Peruvian FA has played a, a horrible propaganda campaign uh, on their social media. <laughs> they come out and they told everyone Congress is evil. You all know Congress is evil and it's corrupt, and they're trying to ruin soccer, which is the only thing that keeps us together. Pod calling them calling them corrupt. By the way, right, right. He who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Exactly. Right? And so, therefore, that's just not the way that things should be done. Honestly, that, that's very cheap from, from the Federation. But who knows? I mean, right now, the, 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 the law is in committee. It has been debated in committee. Uh, and FIFA has told them already before the decision, the decision has even been made that uh, if, they, if they repeal the law, then Peru will be suspended, right? They will, Comebol will present the letter to FIFA and FIFA will automatically suspend them. And this will take about 24 to 48 hours, okay? And then that suspension will stand either until Congress decides to let go, right? And admit that the tap out and admit that they've, they've been defeated or until the next FIFA Congress, which is not gonna be for another year or two years, where every you know federation comes in and they might vote and this decide that Peru is fine after all, but that that's way too far in the future. So so that's kind of where we stand stand right now. Yes, and on the point about the FFA, because it was bad enough that the media were sensationalizing headlines, getting people worked up into a frenzy. You should have seen our WhatsApp group chat for the last couple of days because. Brian was just going off about this whole thing and Christopher was trying to talk him off the ledge and basically saying, it's fine. The media is trying to scare you and they have, it has clearly worked because that's what happened. Then you have the FFA Twitter account. Keep this in mind. It's a public Twitter account. It's one thing to be putting pressure on Congress behind closed doors to publicly announce this on social media saying, Hey Congress, if you if we get suspended, this is all your fault, and this is what could happen. We could get suspended from the youth tournaments. We might not get the under seventeen World Cup in Peru. We might not get to play qualifiers. This whole thing, right? That is just literally pouring gasoline onto an already open flame, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's it, yeah, it's making the situation so much worse. Um, and Again, like you so eloquently said, a lot still has to happen. And at the end of the day, at least from my point of view, and I'll ask you about this, Christopher, um, presenting this question, I personally do believe that something will get resolved and nothing 
let's say catastrophic will end up happening? What do you think the end result will be? Or what do you at least think the, the, the current trend looks like? That's hard because proving politics right now are complicated. Yes. And in the end, this all of this is just nothing but a pawn in the game of chess that we're seeing in Peruvian politics. We're seeing constitutional amendments. We're seeing accusations, you know, from the, to the president. The president's accusing Car. I mean, I mean, there's there's a bigger mess. So I can see uh, a certain political group in Congress that I'm not going to, you know, mention by name. In the end, saying, you know, we're 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 going to use this to to screw the president even more, and we are actually going to vote for the law and thus get Peru suspended. Um, uh, also, the issue is that that the the committee that's debating this all of this sports uh, issue uh, is the education committee, okay. uh, because there is no sports committee, and they say, well, sports has to do with exercise, and in schools there is. PE, so therefore anything that has to do with sports goes to the education committee. I'm not kidding. I'm for real. So that, that is the logic on how this law ended up in the education committee. Oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not even joking. Like the, the, the logic is all twisted, which makes me think that, that there is a good chance that some of these congressmen don't actually realize what's going on. Um, what else is new? So, so it's, it's, to me, it's basically a toss-up. It's a toss-up. It, it could it could go either way, but there is still plenty of time because the Peruvian Congress is obviously busy with all the constitutional reforms at the moment. They're going to be discussing that at least for the next week, and then next week, if it makes it out of committee, uh, then it will go to to the Congress as a whole, and that's going to be another twelve-hour debate. And then after all of that, we will finally see a decision, and what I hope, what I beg for the Federation, for Comebol and for FIFA to do is to be patient with Congress. Realize that Peru is going through a moment of high stress as it is. Oh, yes. We're already stressed out as it is. Okay. Cut us some slack. Give us a break and say, okay, you know what? Repeal the law. That's fine. We're not going to suspend you and we're going to work it out internally. You know, that would be a benevolent organization that is actually willing to cooperate with the government and show goodwill, right? But that is not what FIFA and what the other soccer organizations are showing us right now. They're showing us that, that they're trying to play a game of chicken and that they're going to take it till, you know, till one of the two uh, gives up, taps out. And, and that, is, that, is just not, that is just not healthy. Definitely not. Um, and I think now everybody can have clearer heads about the whole situation at the very least. So why don't we cool down a little bit yeah, let's cool um, and talk about, uh, well, actually, because we will be cooling down, but the heat on La U is heating up because they are, they are in La Zona de Descenso, the relegation zone, uh, as it stands right now with 10 matches remaining. This isn't the first time they've been in a relegation fight. This isn't the first... Um, big Peruvian club to be in a relegation fight, 2007 Sporting Cristal, for example. So we got, I mean, I guess we can sort of wrap it up by just asking this question, Christopher. Uh, and it's from at mucho underscore trabajo uh, asking, how possible that you should name, by very, the way. Very, very fitting because Lau will have a lot of work to do. Um, how possible is it that Lau will get relegated based on form of play and upcoming opponents? Um, so before I throw that over to you, Christopher, I'll just run down their final matches in the Clausura. So their next match is Sport Huancayo at home. Then they got a massive game against Union Comercio at home, the team directly above them. They, they, they then go to Binacional. They host your one of your favorite teams, Sport Rosario. Uh, then they have Sport Boys, Sporting Cristal, Alianza Lima, Deportivo Municipal, Real Garcilaso, and then close out with Comerciantes Unidos at home, a team that's pretty much already relegated. So with that in mind, uh, do you think it's possible that Lau will get relegated based on their current form and those upcoming games that I mentioned? You know, when you read uh, the very last end of the list, that, that really made me think of, what is, is it 
Mastermind, the guy that's the blue guy with the ginormous head, that movie. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think right? so. Yeah. Right? Where he finally defeats his arch nemesis, and then he realizes how boring life is. Right? <laughs> I hope I'm not spoiling the movie for anyone, by the way. <sighs> but in, in the end, there's a possibility, there's a scenario where Alianza Cristal, Municipal, and Sport Boys will, will decide the fate of their fellow Lima club. Right. You know? And as such as then then it's like you 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 have this this rivalry, you know, with Alianza Universitario, and then Alianza might have, you know, the dagger right into the heart. And they might choose not to do it. Yeah. Because you know, and I think that that's quite an interesting situation. Universitario, whether they like it or not, they need to me. They need to play something along the lines of you know, put put five defenders, uh, you know, tell everyone we're on defensive mode. We cannot have another goal scored on on our side. Okay, yeah. we 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 don't care. If we're gonna tie most of these games. So we cannot lose. So even if it's one point or three points, whichever is gonna help their cause. Uh, and as such, I think that their calendar uh, makes it so them playing at Lima uncomfortably from for about five or six matches makes it so that their their fate is still in their hands uh, and possibly in the hands of people that might be compassionate with them. Uh, with that said, uh, yeah, I think it's very possible for them to save themselves from relegation. Uh, but there is other factors, obviously, other than just a calendar that could end up contributing to this. Yeah, and interestingly, Latin, uh, Trinchera Norte, this is not the first time they've done this, but they have now called for Nicolas Cordova's head, and they want, of all people, Roberto Chale to come back and coach them <laughs> for the final weeks of the season, which I cannot think of a worse scenario than that. Uh, to fire yet another coach, bring in someone who, okay, yes, he did have brief success as a coach a couple of years ago. Um, believe you, he actually won the, the Klausura, the Apertura, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're just compounding more problems onto yourself if you do that. Um, mm-hmm. But again, this isn't the first time that the Ultras, the the, the Barras have, have overreacted like this, and it definitely won't be the last. Um on the defensive side, Christopher, you mentioned a great point because their biggest problem, especially under Cordova, has been defense. They want to play possession. They just can't do it with that midfield. The defense is very porous. Um, they didn't have a replacement for Albo Corso, or at least a, a reasonable replacement for Albo Corso, um, which compounded the problems. And among the relegation candidates, if you can believe this, if you look at their expected goals allowed, for those who don't know, it's an analytic that determines the quality of a scoring opportunity and the probability of that shot turning into a goal. So before this weekend, Lau had actually conceded 48 goals, I believe it was, uh, across all the phases, Torneo de Verano, uh, Apertura, Clausura. 48 goals conceded. Their expected goals allowed stands at 54.48. So they should actually be conceding more goals based on the underlying numbers and the quality of shots they're allowing. Mm. And the only team with a worse expected goals against is Comerciantes Unidos. So that just goes to show you how dire it has been defensively for the team. And when you're conceding an average of 15.6 shots per game, and you are firing yourself in the final third, 13 shots per game, that's eventually going to catch up to you. Scoring goals, they've actually been fine. Because La Bandera, uh, Denise, we've seen Siucho do well in the past few weeks as well. The attack has done their job. The defense just can't keep goals out. I mean, if you lose 4-2 to Ayacucho, no matter how good they have been recently, that just says it all, really. Um, one win in their last seven games, dating back to the Apertura, and it's all down to the back line. They need to shore it up. The Alberto Rodriguez injury was unfortunate, but Cordova has to now look at, okay, enough about establishing a system, enough about trying to get us to play this way or that way. We got to stay up. 
And it starts with shoring up the defense somehow, maybe not pushing men forward as much as they do because against Ayakucho, that was a huge problem. Um, and just start with the basics. Otherwise, they could probably end up going down. Um, do you have any follow-ups, Christopher, or would you agree? Yeah, I think I think I would agree. I think that the, 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 the players need to change their mentality a little bit. Uh, they need to realize what they're going through and as such need to just uh, be more careful with uh, the way in which they go about things. I think that the game against Ayacucho, like you mentioned, was a pretty good example of how it's like the, we were trying these complex passes and, and Cordova also seems to be, you know, getting a little experimental with things also. Mm-hmm. And it's like, guys, have you not realized that you guys are second to last? <laughs> you know, it's like... What what's the goal here? I mean, you yours are not second overall. You're second to last, and you need to have that mentality, and you need to play differently. Like you're knocking down almost 100 years of of history, <laughs> so please be careful. Um, and as such, yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of my thoughts there. I guess the last. The, the other possible scenario that could happen is that we could have a playoff between Comerciantes, mm-hmm. between Union Comercio and Universitario. Yes. That would be that would be interesting. We oh, we actually we actually got a tweet about that from Kevin Montalvan, who asked us a question earlier, and he was saying Movistar must be very happy with this because if they get a relegation playoff, that might get more eyeballs on it than the actual playoffs for the title. Um, which I honestly wouldn't put it past that possibility yeah, no, happening no. given that it's sure. Raul involved in a relegation battle, right? Similar to what happened when River Plate went down seven years ago. I remember everybody that I, mm-hmm. that I knew who was who even yeah. followed a semblance of South American soccer, they all watched that game to see if they would go down. And the exact same thing would happen if it was Raul in, in, in Peru. Everybody would watch whether you love them or hate them. Um, see. Seeing a giant fall like that is almost as rare as seeing the Haley's Comet. Yeah, yeah, and people so. love catastrophe, right? Catastrophe oh, yeah. sells. No, great. It sells. So it sells. if you, if you can watch, you know, a, a a bonfire just go up like you know yeah. twenty feet in the yeah, air, of course great. people are going to watch that. As long as it's not your house, it's great. Yes, exactly. Well, last last thing, last comment would also be that if low does go down, it is. It might even bring some good things with it. People might, you know, first of all, it might bring more responsibility to the club. It also is going to bring attention to the second division, which being a follower of the second division, someone that's followed them for the last almost 10 years now, uh, that, that could be good because, I mean, unfortunately, they, some, some people don't take it seriously. And that hurts the Peruvian soccer structure overall. So Laul going down might strengthen the second division which in turn might strengthen the first division yes good so it, might, it might not necessarily be a bad thing you know yeah, it's yeah. it's not the end of the world we're going to be fine <laughs> That's, it's, it's just a club getting relegated guys it's fine right. nothing nothing terrible is happening there are much bigger issues across the country yes. which christopher mentioned with politics uh that's the big worry low going down is not no. um so with that, we will wrap up the show. We got a lot into that hour. And considering it was just the two of us, you did a very good job, although you deserve a lot of credit, Christopher, for filling up the Ley de Fortalecimiento. Uh, great job with that. Um, so if you want to give out your Twitter and any potential shout-outs, doesn't have to be limited to Sporancash anymore, uh, you may go ahead. Well, the season's over. We lost our last game. We only got four points out of, out of 18 possible so i mean it was terrible in national stage but uh there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up in the, in the lower division so i'm gonna recommend our fans to uh keep an eye on that for the second division is getting good and the yes. copa peru national stages stage is also about to get r- way good mm-hmm. so uh yeah uh for the nerdier people in the audience so something to, to look out for for sure other than that uh, my Twitter handle is viz underscore fc. Let's hope that we are not suspended. And uh, and Brian, if you're listening, don't freak out. <laughs> Could have said it better myself. I am Peter Galindo. You can follow me on Twitter at GalindoPW. You can follow the show at Peru Waltz. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. 
So for Christopher Viscardo, I am Peter Galindo. This is the Peruvian Waltz team. We are signing off. Corrubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.